Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we'll find out if those no-bake cookie dough ice cream sandwiches helped us keep our cool in these hot summer days. And if not, we'll introduce a lazy daisy cake that we hope gives us a little break. And speaking of cakes, we'll look at some of the cake tools on the market and find out what our listeners love. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, our Facebook listeners page recently had some wonderful posts that I wanted to call out and just thank all of the preheaters for their participation. Yeah. Oh, of course. Well, I really enjoyed the thread on thrift store items. (laughs) I had posted that Nordic Ware Fiesta Bunt that I found. It was actually $4, but it was half off. So I got it for $2. And I was so excited. (laughs) Exciting day. I mean, I always see lots of Bunt pans in the thrift stores, but rarely the actual Nordic Ware brand. Nordic Ware is a pricey brand of loaf pan or Bunt cake, too. You really scored there. Yeah, I was super excited about that. And so then I enjoyed seeing about all of the listeners find and their bowls and yeah. their mixers and all sorts of things that they have found that just sounded great. You know, that thread made me think another really fun meetup sometime in the future for us to put on our to-do list would be to do like a thrift store crawl. We've talked about a bakery crawl, but oh. we should go do a thrift store crawl with preheaters. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh. My gosh, that would be fun because I'm imagining here in my town, I know there's one store that I go to. It's an antique mall, so it has a bunch of different stands. Yeah. And some of them are very heavily trafficked in the baking items. Oh, okay. I love that idea. Okay. Put it on the list. Now, a different thread, although in the same vein, was listener Anna who posted a picture of her great-grandmother's KitchenAid mixer. Did you see that? I did see it. You often hear how those things just are such a workhorse, but to have lived through three or four bakers, that's incredible. Yeah, I thought that was so cool. I mean, obviously, KitchenAid is not a sponsor, although certainly if they'd like to, we're open. KitchenAid, call us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about how, yes, they are pricey, but they're worth it. And I thought that particular picture really proved the point there. So thank you, Anna, for posting that. And I just thought, how much fun for her every time she pulls that out, just to have that moment of knowing that she's doing something that has been things that her family has been doing for generations. That's just such a, I don't know, just such a great thought. It is. And, you know, I know we've had in the past, we've had threads from new bakers or new participants to the Facebook listeners group, and they've said, hey, I'm just starting out. What do you all recommend as far as must have appliances and gadgets? And KitchenAid always comes up and people say the same thing. You know, it's an investment, but it's so worth it. And I think Anna's post really proved that point. And stay tuned later on this episode. We might talk a little bit about that in our segment on cake tools. So that's a teaser. (laughs) That's a teaser. The last thing I wanted to say is thank you to our listeners who are honest and open and vulnerable with us and share when they're feeling down and how baking has helped pick them up or how our show has helped pick them up. Yeah. I love that people are willing to be real even on something that might seem as trivial as baking. 
what I especially love is the comments from our other listeners. Yeah. Facebook can be a scary place sometimes. And you can see, or I guess any social media, really. I know for me, when I see comments that start off with, you should. And it's like, no, don't tell this person what to do. Just let them feel whatever they're feeling. And I love that our listeners were so supportive. I just thought that was great. It was really heartwarming. And I was just really proud of all of our listeners. It was it was it was really heartwarming. I really loved it too. And we've read a lot of studies about the mental health pick-me-up effects of baking. I do feel that that is just something that you and I both have seen in our own daily lives as well. And it sounds like that's happening for the preheaters as well. So yeah, and I mean, that's one of the main reasons that we started this show, Andrea, was to be a soft place to land. And that is lovely to see that really playing out for people besides you and me as well. That's right. Andrea, speaking of a soft place to land, let's jump right in to this week's totally square, (laughs) totally geometric (laughs) bake-along. I speak, of course, of this might be one of the longer titles we've had on the show. It is. (laughs) Okay, let me get it all in here. We have the no-bake cookie dough ice cream sandwiches from McCormick's, of course, McCormick uh, Spice and Extract Maker in the U.S. and sponsored this post that we found. This was, as I said, a no-bake. You are using a few ready-made ingredients to get that kind of soft cookie dough effect for your top and bottom layer and filling it with ice cream in the middle. Andrea, we talked last week about some of the ingredients. Seemed kind of like a pantry staple going on here. I make ice cream sandwiches a lot in the summer. Is that something that you do a lot of as well? No. In fact, I think last summer is the first time I thought about doing it when, you might recall, I went to that party in upstate New York. Yeah. One of the desserts that was served was the Lotus Biscoff cookies with ice cream between them. Yes. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, this is a great little dessert that you can make at home. And of course, that one was made completely with pre-made ingredients. You buy the cookies, you buy the ice cream, you slap it together, and you've got this great little bite-sized dessert. It's been on my radar, but it's not something that I've done. And I certainly had never thought of or even heard of having the sandwich layer be no-bake cookie dough. That kind of blew my mind. When I was making this particular recipe, I was reminded of a few shows back, we were making the marmalade cake. And you said, is it wrong to just want to eat the batter? (laughs) Yeah. We decided it was not wrong at all. (laughs) And that's, of course, you know, one of the best things about making cookies is eating that raw batter as far as I'm concerned, the raw cookie dough. So here is a way to safely do it in a no-bake base for your ice cream sandwich. You had your peanut butter, your regular butter, some confectioner's sugar, brown sugar, vanilla extract, wafer crumbs miniature chocolate chips, and then the ice cream of your choosing. So let's hear it. How'd it go? All right. Well, this was one of those classic stories I know I've told before. Best of times, worst of times. Oh, wow. So I'll start out with the worst, which is this was such a mess. You know, listeners who've heard me talk before know I don't like messy things. So I already was a little bit prejudiced against it because I was thinking, well, if it's no-bake cookie dough, I'm going to have my fingers touching the no-bake cookie dough as I eat it because I eat an ice cream sandwich with my hands. That's just how I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to haul out a knife and fork. Right. Although who knows what our baking etiquette expert might say. (laughs) We'll have to put in a query (laughs) to check in. So I already in my head thought, well, this is going to be kind of messy. But then I went into the assembly. So I decided to cut this recipe in half. It said that it serves eight 
and it was going to go into an eight inch square pan. Yeah. I just divided all of the ingredients in half and I made it in my loaf pan, which is, I believe, six by four or maybe eight by four, but it's basically a half the size of the eight by eight. That worked out really well. Would that be a rectangle? Well, maybe, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so from last show, we know that a rectangle is always a square, but a square is not always a rectangle, or is it the other way around? Um, we did discuss that, and a square is a special kind of rectangle, but yeah, not every rectangle is a square. So, okay, all right. Family of three, eight ice cream sandwiches, very dangerous for me to have around. Geometry baking will give you a pass on that. (laughs) (laughs) I mixed the peanut butter and the butter together. I added the sugars and the vanillas. I stirred in those vanilla wafer crumbs and chocolate chips. And this was like sand. I could not get it to stick together. Wow. I put it in the fridge for a little while, thinking that maybe if I just let it, you know, chill a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's fine to line the bottom of the loaf pan, and I sprayed it well before I did. Right. And because you can just kind of press down. Yeah. And then I put the ice cream in the middle, and I I think one of the things that's missing from this recipe is the first step should say to take the vanilla ice cream out of the freezer and let it soften because even though it's listed as softened in the ingredient list if you forget to do that then you've got a big time gap so it's nice to get that out first while you're preparing the cookie dough you do especially with that really higher fat premium ice creams as well they're really fatty it takes a good like 10 minutes to be getting a soft scoop let alone one you're going to be spreading yeah in a pan yeah I weighed my dough when I was done making it. I came up with 315 grams, so I needed to put about 155 on the bottom layer. So I did that, and I pressed it in. I spread the ice cream. Just trying to put the top layer on, it was so crumbly. It was more like a crumble. I guess that's the best way to describe it, instead of a sandwich. And so there were lots of holes, you know, where you could see the ice cream coming through. Okay. But as I would try to sort of press it in and press it together, I mean, the ice cream would just sort of smoosh up because I had softened it. Yeah. Yeah. My And my fingers were getting all, yeah. you know, covered with ice cream and raw cookie dough. And I was just, it was very angry making. So I finally went ahead and got it all assembled, but I was I was not pleased with my results. I did put it into the freezer and it says freeze three hours or until firm. Mm-hmm. And then you pull it out and let it stand at room temperature two to three minutes. Right. I mentioned last week, I don't typically purchase vanilla ice cream. So in this case, I purchased a coconut gelato, which is very rich and decadent and good. And I thought it would go really well with this. And I cut into those ice cream sandwiches, and here we flip to the best of times. These were some of the best things I'd ever tasted. (laughs) Gosh, my heart is just racing. It's one extreme to the other with this. (laughs) I know. And it's so funny because, you know, in the recipe, it's an 8 by 8, and they say cut into 16 bars. Mm -mm. And I do love that they say the serving size is 8. So they're admitting that you're going to have two of them. (laughs) Right on, McCormick's. Thank you, McCormick's. I decided to cut them into rectangles, so I ended up with five really nice-sized rectangles. I would say kind of your typical ice cream sandwich-sized rectangles that you buy at the grocery store. Yeah. I didn't wrap them individually in plastic wrap. I just cut them and put them back into the freezer. Yeah. In fact, I think I ended up cutting those in half again. So I went from the five rectangles to kind of the 10 squares. Because I just thought that was kind of the perfect size. It was kind of a mini size. You got a lot out of one loaf pan. I got a ton out of it. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed these. I know I had one the first night. My husband had one. My daughter had one. I served them about, I don't know, maybe five days later after a dinner party. And they were still perfectly delicious. I personally couldn't tell 
any taste difference from day one to day five. Right. Yeah. These were a big hit to the point where we all agreed, like, these are not safe in our home. (laughs) These are really, really good. So thank you for finding this recipe. And tell me, what did I do wrong that made it so sandy? Did you have that same experience or was it just me? Yeah, I did not have that texture issue at all. Wow. One thing that I did here that's not called for, but I was really pleased with myself for thinking of it. I needed to make crumbs. And as you guys know, Nilla wafers or vanilla wafers are hard for me to find here. I substituted rich tea biscuits. Mm -hmm. They have more of a graham crackery flavor. I'd say they're somewhere between a Nilla wafer and a graham cracker. Mm -hmm. I had already pulsed up my crumbs in my food processor. And as it was sitting there, I see the first Mm -hmm. instruction is to mix the peanut butter and a butter together. And I thought, I'm just going to put this in the food processor and let the machine Mm -hmm. do the work. It's already plugged in. It's ready to go. So I had it almost like a whipped consistency. So maybe I was able to add some additional air in there or make it somehow lighter or, you know, as you're doing that, maybe you're stretching the ingredients. I don't know. That is a step that I took that I just decided on the spur of the moment to do. I was mixing just by hand. So that is very different. And yeah, Stefan, that's ringing a bell for me. I'm thinking there was a prior dessert over the last couple of months that, oh, it was a shortbread. Yeah, I couldn't get it to come together, and so I popped it into the food processor, and all of a sudden it came together. We also had a similar issue. It rang bells for me with those pretzel thumbprints we did kind of this time last year. We had that crumbly texture issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So none of that was like crossing my mind as I decided to do that. I just had a good texture once I did whip it up in the food processor. And so if you're like me, if you already have yours out to make those crumbs, I just recommend putting your butter and your peanut butter there as well. Okay. I'm going to do that next time for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then you add your sugars and your vanilla. I don't have many chocolate chips here. I hardly have chocolate chips. So <laughs> <laughs> I used uh, two-thirds of a cup of regular size, which I thought was fairly equivalent of some semi-sweet chips. I patted that into the bottom of my square pan. And I think one thing you want to pay attention to, so you put that bottom layer, then you spread your ice cream over, and they've said, you know, pat the remaining dough on parchment or wax paper, then you're going to kind of flip it upside down. I did do that, and that was a big part of my angry making because it was so sandy that I patted it into the parchment, and then I folded the parchment, and I went to put it into the fridge. Okay. As I set it on the shelf, crumbs just flew out of both ends. And so then it was all yeah. over my fridge, too. No. <sighs> yeah. No, mine was very much like if you'd made like a chocolate chip cookie dough. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, so jealous. What I wanted to say is that before I put the ice cream layer on, I took out the first layer of the dough and made that my top. Does this make sense what I'm saying? Okay. So that I had the template of the pan to press the other layer in. I wasn't yep. doing that freehand, which is what it suggests. And that just seemed awkward to me. And it was awkward for me. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> confirmed. So do it in the pan, take that one out, do your second, put the ice cream on, then flip your original. Yeah. These were a huge hit in my home. Huge. Yeah. (laughs) I cut my squares into nine. So they look more like squares in keeping with the theme. Like bars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But not necessarily like that long kind of ice cream sandwich look, which I know and love from like my childhood and the frozen. Yeah. They were very well loved on the first day. We kept them around and they were eaten with joy and rejoicing every time. Yep. Lots of discussion about what other ice creams can we put in here next time, mom. I think they were easy. I liked the texture. I do think that 
you should know this is a peanut butter cookie dough and it tastes peanut buttery. I wish they would have put that in the title. I think when I look at the picture, I'm thinking chocolate chip cookie dough, but it's definitely peanut butter. I like that, but you might not think that as you're going to take a bite. You know, that's interesting because I did not recall that it was peanut butter taste. And maybe because I used that toasted coconut gelato, which was a fairly strong flavor, I don't think the peanut butter taste really came through for me in mine. But that is a really good point. You know, maybe that's part of the reason my husband loved these so much, too, is that he loves peanut butter more so than chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, yeah. I liked them. So did my family. So I think this one is going to be made a lot more this summer. Yeah, this one's a keeper. I love anything with the words no bake in the title. I'm going to try it next time to make all of my dough in the food processor. I think that's a great idea. The other thing I'm going to do that I think would be really cute, especially if you have the mini chocolate chips, I'm going to roll, if you can roll a square, (laughs) roll the bars in the little mini chocolate chips when I'm done so that the mini chocolate chips are on that ice cream layer and I think that's going to be really pretty and fun. I love when I see homemade ones that have a layer of coconut or sprinkles or chocolate chips or whatever on the outside. I love that. Yeah I'm really excited about that. Okay well big two thumbs up. Thanks McCormick's.com. Now we'll move into this week's Bake Along which is a Lazy Daisy cake from Tori's Kitchen. Stefan this is a recipe that you found I have to admit, I had never heard of a Lazy Daisy cake, but I love alliteration just like you do. I guess this isn't alliteration. This is just more straight rhyming. Lazy Daisy. Straight rhyming. (laughs) I just like the way it sounds. How about we'll go with that? But I have no idea what it is. So can you tell me a little bit about the Lazy Daisy cake? Well, a Lazy Daisy is a heritage American cake. And I had seen this name and I had seen it in magazines. I had seen it on websites that do a lot of old-fashioned desserts like Taste of Home. And I had never made one. And I thought, how is this possible? You know, I've made a lot of cakes. I love Heritage Bakes. How come the Lazy Daisy has escaped me? It is a really simple riff on what's called a hot milk cake. Mm. That's actually one of the very first cakes that I learned to make out of the Betty Crocker cookbook. It was called a dinette cake. It's just a very simple made in a square pan. The twist, if you will, is that you kind of scald some milk and add that to the batter. So it has just a really nice texture. It's very simple to make. And this turns out to be a riff on a hot milk cake. So it felt really welcoming and warm to me once I delved into it. When I looked through the ingredients and I read the preparation steps, I thought to myself, well, I think this is going to be sort of like buying a box of yellow cake mix at the grocery store, which I'm excited about because I love making homemade cake mixes. So it's got, as you mentioned, the milk. We're going to heat that. We're going to melt the butter and the vanilla in that and let it cool. In a bowl, we're going to take the sugar, the cooled down milk mixture, and the eggs and mix that well. Then we'll add in the dry ingredients, flour, baking soda, and salt. About 12 strokes. So I'm not doing this in my stand mixer. I'm going to... Uh-huh plan on doing it in a bowl because that's how it's written. And you know me, I always follow instructions. (laughs) My question was with the sugar, it says nine tablespoons of packed light brown sugar. Right. I'm used to seeing, you know, a quarter cup or half a cup or three quarters cup Mm. or one tablespoon or two tablespoons. I was just curious Mm -hmm. why this is listed as nine tablespoons. I don't know specifically for this recipe, but I was just making something today, a savory dish, And it was doing the same thing. And I thought, why can't it be consistent 
Because it's not like in that icing ingredients she's not using cups. She is. It's a quarter cup of heavy cream and a cup of right. the coconut. Right. So, I mean, what is nine tablespoons? I don't know off the top of my head, but you're talking, what, at least maybe like half a cup, if not more? I want to say it's either three tablespoons or four tablespoons is a quarter cup. So, yeah, I think it's – Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's just that it's somewhere between three quarters and one cup. And listing something like five-eighths or seven-eighths kind of throws people for a tizzy. So – This is another area that I am so into the weighing of ingredients these days. Yes. Because it would just be easier to put the weight there and throw it into your scale and go forward. So true. So you have now made a fairly straightforward vanilla cake. And the thing that's going to make this one special is this broiled coconut topping. And so there you do have your light brown sugar, some cream, butter. You're going to add in some coconut. And then when the cake is cooled down, Put that on the top and broil it until the coconut gets kind of toasty and the icing gets bubbly. And that's what's going to make this one really special. Yeah, I'm excited about this. I've not done a cake with a broiled icing. As I mentioned, this is a heritage recipe. And there's a little bit of debate about where this one might have come from, which, as you know, preheated once again wading into into controversy. (laughs) But by all accounts, it was first published in 1914 in the Chicago Tribune. And it was a submission from a reader in Waterloo, Iowa. Lazy Daisy is a reference to turn-of-the-century poetry. It was epitomizing the fact that home bakers were having a much easier time making cakes because something very important happened just a few years prior to this recipe being published. In 1910, the introduction of the gas stove to home bakers. Oh, okay. So all of a sudden, it's kind of lazy, kind of lazy to make a cake. <laughs> royal topping oh my goodness oh that's funny taking the easy way out for dessert yeah it was actually kind of amazing to me how little i could find on the lazy daisy so listeners if you know anymore can shed some light in fact andrea i looked on one of our favorite food resources what's cooking america and they didn't have a listing at all which really surprised me That is surprising. I know when I first saw it, I got confused because this is hip to be square month. Mm. And I saw Lazy Daisy, but my brain thought Lazy Susan, you know, that big (laughs) circular turntable. And so I thought, well, this is a circle cake. Why are we doing this in square month? Even the title is a bit misleading. And a daisy is a circle. I mean, it's not a square, but it it definitely is made in a square pan. I am very excited about this. And remember, we will have a link to this recipe in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 133 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Facebook group. Well, Andrea, it's been a while since we visited the Gadget Garage. Oh, that's right. I think it was all the way back in episode 91 when we were testing fruit sweetness with the refractometer. (laughs) Don't you mean the refractometer? Oh, right. Okay. Well, (laughs) I guess if you want to say it that way. Anyway, we've had such a long break from the Gadget Garage. I thought we could catch up with a whole category of kitchen tools all at once. I'm in. What will it be? Something that has long intrigued and, I'll admit, baffled me, and that is cake tools. Aha! Well, now I understand why we're calling this segment That Takes the Cake, and it also dovetails nicely with our Lazy Daisy. Yeah. It's such a wide variety of things out there for cake making. I know I've got some tried and true items, but there are so many new gadgets that I don't have, or frankly, I don't even know about. Yeah, and that's really what inspired this segment for me. The last time I visited my in-laws, my mother-in-law had this awesome tool 
that helps her level cakes. And that's always been a challenge for me. Would this be a cake leveler thingy? (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, I promise that's the last time we'll use the non-technical term. No, I looked this one up and it is actually called a cake leveler. So we're not even far off in what we're calling it. Well, no matter what the technical name is, how did it work? Although I was super intrigued by the cake leveler and my mother-in-law said she loves it. My sister-in-law went with her tried and true method of leveling cakes and used good old dental floss. I've used dental floss to slice cinnamon rolls and soft cheese, but never cakes. Of course, the preheaters also had suggestions on the cake leveling front. Listener Renee said that she relies upon a serrated knife that's longer than the diameter of the cake, and that's her key for cutting nice, Mm. even layers. Although Renee is still waiting on a turntable, which Mauricia also mentioned relying upon. Yeah, I can see how that would really help with the frosting. I've never had a turntable, have you? I've never had a proper turntable, but I do have a pedestal cake stand that I manually turn while I'm frosting it. So I guess that's my low-tech answer. (laughs) Thinking of frosting, I loved Maggie's tip for using a fishing tool kit to store her frosting tips and couplers. Yes. What a great way to keep her things organized. Or be prepared for an impromptu fishing trip. (laughs) Maggie also liked the disposable pastry bags. Unlike Lauren, a gal after my own heart who just uses a disposable Ziploc and snips the edge off, I did that for years until my sister-in-law gifted me with those disposable pastry bags, and I have to admit it, now I'm a little spoiled in using those. Well, speaking of spoiled, many of our listeners just couldn't do without their KitchenAid stand mixers, myself included. Lauren, Rachel, Mauricia, and Caroline all count on their stand mixers, and I was especially impressed with Kay, a professional baker who relies on her eight-quart model. Wow. I wonder what that must weigh. (laughs) I have to admit to not liking one thing that some of our listeners rave about, and that is the silicone pan liners. What? You were the one who turned me on to these way back in the day. I know. I used to love these, and then one day I was listening to Chris Kimball on Milk Street Radio, and he admitted that he didn't like them, and I realized I didn't either. Mm. They get all sort of gummy and gross, and I never feel like I can get them really clean. And then they're hard to dry. I have them sort of laying about the kitchen. (laughs) I also had a lot of trouble storing them because they always stick to something. And so wherever I had them, I couldn't get things in or out easily. I finally just switched over to pre-cut parchment, and I've never regretted it. We have listeners. Some love the liner. Some love the parchment. Some love them both. So I really do think it's a personal preference. Yeah, and I find myself switching back and forth depending on how I'm feeling. And if you're talking about personal preference... Let's not forget the lowly spatula. It seemed like almost all of our listeners weighed in with favorite spatula, but I'll give the That Takes the Cake Award to listeners Jennifer and Anna, who taught us about cake lifters. Oh, yeah. I had never heard of these giant metal spatulas that let you lift your cakes from the cooling rack without fear of breakage. I tell you, I could have really used this back in episode 122 when I was messing about with that three-layer orange marmalade cake. It was so fragile. These cake lifters are definitely on my list now. And to wrap things up, I want to share my favorite kitchen tool, and it only seems fitting that listener Vicky and Ingrid, two of our very first listeners, both mentioned my favorite preheated discovery, the ever-reliable cake release spray, Baker's Joy. Ah, so beloved. We even named episode two Baking with Joy. 
I agree. Knowing that a bunt sprayed with Baker's Joy is definitely going to release is such a huge relief. And for our listeners that can't find Baker's Joy, don't forget you can make your own homemade cake release. It's just equal quantities of flour, shortening, and vegetable oil. Combine that in a glass jar, mix it really well, and you'll make a smooth paste that you can brush into your bunt pans. I'm going to have to try that because, as you know, I cannot find Baker's Joy in London. I know, and I can't ship it to you because it's an aerosol. <laughs> oh. Listeners, thank you so much for all of your cake tools, suggestions, and recommendations. We loved hearing what works for you, and we can't wait to give them a try. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we'll find out if Stefan's Lazy Daisy cake was worth the wait. And we'll travel to Canada, at least in our kitchens, to explore a tasty toponym I typically only eat once a year. Finally, in a segment we're calling Delicious Dilemmas, we'll talk about how we make our purchasing decisions when we're spoiled for choice. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.